Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. still be cleaning up in room three and it'll just be easier and I said okay you're probably right so just in my wife's office and we'll uh, consider a few things here Matthew chapter number six we're going to finish up uh, the Lord's prayer here our little series on the Lord's prayer this morning amen also hopefully by Wednesday uh, everything will be ready for presenting uh, our winner of the our March Madness bracket on perhaps Wednesday we'll be able to award that I want to keep it under wraps who it actually is and all of that, of course. But we all that were a part of it know really who that was. But nonetheless, we'll try to do that on Wednesday. It was fun uh, doing and uh, and coming together and, and watching and stuff together. So anyway, amen. We can't wait. Amen. For tonight, of course, with Brother Alex Mason. And so we're excited. Hasn't it been uh, tremendous the past several Sunday evenings? Amen. The different ones that have come along and you'll have other opportunities to hear them here throughout uh, the, the spring and summer months as well uh, and such. So Matthew chapter number six, verse number 13 to all of our guests. Welcome this morning. Thank you for being here. Amen. The house of the Lord. We're going to read verse 13 just alone. We've almost just taken a verse at a time in many regards. Uh, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning, I want to talk to us on this subject matter, deliver, deliver us, deliver us. Uh, for the past few weeks, we've been considering the second half of the Lord's Prayer, and we have looked at the idea of give us daily bread, uh, forgive us last week, and today deliver us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning that he would have his, his way here. Lord Jesus, we need you this morning. We need your spirit, Lord, your power, God, to be manifest in this place. We're thankful, Lord, for every song that has been sung. But now speak to us, Lord, through your word. God, let it do something, Lord, in our lives that we could connect, Lord, with the words that are spoken here. And, Lord, implement them in our own lives. And we'll not fail to thank you, praise you, Lord Jesus, for what you do. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. God bless you this morning, and you may be seated. In Jesus' name. The understanding, our understanding of this particular verse must be understood in the context of all the other verses or the Lord's Prayer at large because we realized last week we made request or as Jesus told his disciples, pray after this manner, we requested for a forgiveness of debts as we forgave those who were indebted to us. And so we, we have just pulled, as a result of that, asking for forgiveness, we have just pulled our past into the presence of the Lord. Uh, wrongs, infractions, offenses, we've pulled those, that, those past events into the presence of the Lord. And so with those offenses fresh in our minds, right, with those offenses fresh in our minds, we now look to the future with the probability of there being a future offense. I mean, it would be great 
that we could get forgiveness for something and then it would never rise again in our life. It would be like a one and done type of scenario. But as many of you sit here know that that is not the case. A lot of times we deal with uh, similar lines of thought or similar deeds and, and things. And sometimes we got to ask forgiveness more than once over something that, that we've done or, or some word that we have spoken and said. So it would be great to deal with it once and just be done with it. But with those offenses fresh on our mind because of asking for forgiveness or either granting forgiveness to somebody else that needed it we then look to the future again with the probability that this may occur this could happen again and so uh, with it fresh in our minds we don't want that to reoccur we don't want that to happen again. We don't want to repeat this in our own lives. And so we, we make a prayer by all means if we could avoid a future problem in this area. Avoid a future infraction that we just dealt with. Because when we dealt with that forgiveness, whether we were receiving it or giving it, all of the things that surrounded that time, that scenario, all of those feelings resurfaced and were aroused by those remembering the past and remembering it in order to forgive it. And so we don't want to repeat that. So we're saying to ourselves, what, what can we do? Christ is putting in a safeguard for us. What can we do to keep ourselves from repeating this? And so... The fact of the matter is this, concerning the Lord's Prayer, Jesus telling us to pray after this manner in one regard is telling us that we should be concerned just as much as the possibility of a future sin as we are about having granted or gained forgiveness for a past sin. That we need to have both of these things in the scope of our preview. And so we need not only forgiveness now, but we need some means of preservation uh, preserving from reaching that point again for the future. And so Jesus wanted our past mistakes to make us or create in us a proactivity or to be proactive about any future potential threat that may come about in our lives. Because now, now we can walk into the future with our eyes wide open based upon, based upon the record of our past, right? Because we are still fallible men and women. Living in a fallen world, we are still in these bodies called flesh, so the possibility is, of course, there in our lives. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, old, old minister of years and years ago, said the man who is really forgiven is anxious not to offend again. He says the possession of justification leads to the anxious desire for sanctification. He says, forgive us our debts that is justification. He said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is sanctification. And so we must not take this phrase necessarily as, as a hoe. It's not, and lead us not into temptation. Then, like part two, then delivers from evil. It's together. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In other words, Lord, I don't want to, uh, to be found or be pulled by or persuaded by any temptation where there isn't a way, a possibility, a door that I can escape from it, right? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12 and 13, uh, verse 13, you may be more familiar with, it says, wherefore let he, him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. But God is faithful, 
who will not suffer you to be tempted above that year able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it, that ye may be able to bear it. And so Paul writing to the church of Corinth is telling them that the temptations that come into their life, none of them are uncommon. They're all common to man. So part of the fabric of humanity to be tempted in the various ways that we all find ourselves being tempted, some things are more tempting to some of you than others or than me. We all have those things that are more alluring to us than others, or maybe we share some things with other people, but nonetheless, they are common to man. But he tells us about the faithfulness of God. And the faithfulness of God is that the temptations that do come into our life, which we understand in Scripture, that every man is drawn away of his own lust, the Bible says. He's drawn away. No, God tempted no man at any time, but we're drawn away of our own lust, our own wants, our own desires. All right? But nonetheless, the Lord says, Paul says that God is faithful and that when that happens, he will, with the temptation, make a way for escape. That you may be able to bear it. The, having the ability to escape... Having a way out enables you to bear whatever temptation comes. It's kind of like, you know, if, if you are, are ever involved in something and, uh, you know, there's a condition clause that any time you can get out of this, well, you're more apt maybe even to take something that is more of a risk if you know you can press the stop button, right, and get out of it. It helps you to bear Whatever the situation, scenario may be. And the Lord says, Paul says that the Lord has with the temptation made a way of escape that we might be able to bear it. And so in each trial, God has provided a way, a venue of escape. All right. Even though our own lusts and desires sometimes in entice us and take us down these meandering roads if you will looks a little looks a little shady you know uh, uh, he gives us the ability to escape because we know this in scripture uh, the bible says that that lust that draws us away that when lust is conceived it bringeth forth sin yet when sin is finished it bringeth forth death and so if we continue in the vein of our lust, if we continue in the vein of our desires, there is a, a progression of steps of conception of sin and then sin leading to death. So you want somewhere in that process a way of an escape. You want somewhere in the process that if you go to step A, step B and C doesn't have to happen. Amen. And that's the reason why it's not wrong at the place of temptation. It's not sin at the place of temptation because we're all tempted, it's the giving in to being wined and dined by the sin to the place that something's reproduced. Sin is conceived. And then ultimately death. So the, world the word temptation in the Bible, it can mean a few different things, of course. But it can mean either a trial. A temptation may very simply be a trial. It may be a test of some sort or kind. It can be persecution. All times in Acts and, and through the epistles, uh, when the church was going through a very difficult time of persecution, many times when it spoke of temptation, it was speaking of the persecutions that they were enduring. Or, as, as our minds a lot of time go to, it can also mean that enticement then to sin, that enticement to sin. And so... Uh, 
it, when it, we consider it meaning a trial or a test, it can be a trial of any kind, a trial of any kind. Uh, without any type of reference to a moral quality, it can be a trial. And every trial has, has a potential to be a temptation. The trial, may, the trial may be sent by God. The test, right? The test may be sent by God, all right? And it has the potential for temptation, but that temptation really is on our shoulders. It's whether we're drawn by our lust, our desires, that transforms that into a temptation. Trials pressure us. Trials, trials reveal our character. Trials reveal our character. Uh, you know, it's kind of like that pressure on the, pressure on the outside of anything you know, you put pressure on the balloon and you see it start to deform some. And if you put enough pressure on it and it can't go anywhere else, it pops. You know, you squeeze the toothpaste out of the tube. Right? It's just a revealer of what's ever on the inside. And so pressure, trials have a way of doing that. Revealing character. Revealing who we are. The Bible says in James 1 and verse 13, I've been alluding to this uh, quite a bit already. Let no man say when he is tempted... I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempeth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. And so after this manner, Jesus says, disciples pray, deliver us from evil. The word deliver means to draw in here in, in the New Testament means to draw us away from evil, drag us along the ground from evil. You ever had to do your kid that whenever they were younger and they're like, I, yeah, you know, they're throwing hands and feet and you almost feel like you're dragging them away. Well, sometimes when in our verbiage of saying deliver us, God, we're saying, Lord, if you got to grab me by the nap of my neck while I'm kicking and screaming. Uh, drag me away. Some of us need to get some carpet burns on our knees because we've allowed our father to drag us away from some evil. It means to draw or to snatch oneself. It refers like the, the, the snatching from danger, or the snatching from evil, or the snatching from an enemy. The basic idea that is carried here in the word is rescuing from danger. It, the, the picture of that it conveys and that it was all time used with was describing of, of a, a soldier that would go on the battlefield, kind of its origin, going on the battlefield to snatch or grab a wounded comrade out of the battlefield and carrying him back to safety. That's the idea of this deliver. There's somebody out there wounded. Their, 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 their life is in jeopardy, right? And so someone comes along and drags them out of there to a place of safety. When we cry, deliver us from temptation, we're saying, Lord, I feel very vulnerable right now. I feel even like this has already got a foothold on me, and I need you to snatch me up out of this. I need you to deliver me from this evil. I need you to rescue me from the hand of my adversary, my enemy, this temptation from, from evil. Amen. I want to be delivered from it. Amen. I want it to be delivered from its association. Ooh. Ooh. From its association. I, I want to remove away. I want to put to, to the word from here in, in the New Testament. I want to put some distance 
literally, between it and me. Amen. Someone say amen. Sometimes the, 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 the pattern of reoccurring temptation isn't always just upon because we are enticed by our own lust, but sometimes because we've not put enough distance between what we are prone to and us. Um, there would be some things people would be victorious over in their life if they just put enough distance between them and that thing or that environment or that place. I mean, you, you could go on and on with that. So in our scripture reading here, it says, deliver us, deliver us from evil. It's from evil. That's the way we read it in our, our English New Testament Bibles. But in the Greek language, there's a little definitive art, article before evil, meaning this, that there's a the before the evil, which means deliver us from the evil. A lot of times we almost even quote it like that. We don't say deliver us from evil. We say deliver us from the evil. But that's the way it really is in the Greek, delivers from the evil. What's it speaking about then? A specific evil. Not just a evil. Uh, if I said, give me a apple, well, any of them will do. But if I say, give me the apple, I'm talking about a specific, maybe Granny Smith apple over there, you know, among the red delicious and the whatever pink ladies and all the other type of apples that are out there. Amen. And the reason why that is is because, listen, you and I have Bishops preached about this over the years. You and I have besetting sins. And what that means is these are sins that you as an individual, and it's only you, you know, you have sins that you are more prone to fall into. You have certain temptations that you are more prone to fall into. Yours may not be mine and might not be yours, but every individual... Nobody left out has besetting sins, things that they are more prone to fall into. I believe Christ in teaching his disciples to pray, deliver us from thee, a specific evil. Saying you all need to be praying deliverance from those things that you know that you are prone to committing or doing. Or that is a common temptation, you know, the same old thing comes by. Why do people fall in the same old stuff? If you fall in the same old thing, that's probably a good indication. That's your besetting sin. That's your besetting sin. And the thing is, it's always lurking. It's always vying for your attention. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. That's where we get the besetting sin terminology. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Paul oftentimes uh, talked about our journey for the Lord as being a race and uh, the training that would be necessary in order to complete it and, and how you have to run forth with all and all these type of things. And he's talking about there's a great cloud of witnesses. He's speaking about people that have already ran the race, already died their reward, they are the cloud of witnesses that are looking into our lives now, basically like, like uh, fans in a, a stadium cheering us on 
as we're running our race, given the encouragement, I've ran this race before. You can run it too. We have a great cloud of witnesses, but we got to lay aside every way. Runners, you know, they, 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 you don't want to go out there with your clawed hopper boots on, right? And try to run a race and get good time. My wife was saying the other day, there at the high school, they do a lot of running down the hallway, right in front of the office. Uh, and they, they, they have, of course, mechanisms now they put on their bodies. And the guy has a stopwatch. And when it crosses a certain point, it's all electronic. They can get their time rather than, you know, it's more accurate. And they were telling some of the boys said, you need, you need to clip some of the hair along the side of your head right there closer because of the wind. Just away. You need it, you know, you need to get you need to get that a little further down, you know, get a haircut. Just just wait. Just wait. He said, We gotta lay aside the weight and sin that so does so easily besets us. So it's necessary to pause and deal with this classification of what you're dealing with is a weight or if what you're dealing with is a sin. Because not not every not every weight is a sin, but every sin is a weight. Let me say that again. Not every weight is a sin, has the potential to become one, but every sin is a weight. We get into the, the, the thing in churches sometimes, well, pastor, does the Bible say in black and white? That such and such is a sin. Well, there are certain things in Scripture that the Lord gives us precepts, which is a very black and white statement that you should not do or that is a sin. But in many areas of the Bible, he gives us what I would call a principle that gives a generality that from that principle you can deduce certain things so on and so forth, that would be sin. However, uh, the way to know whether or not you need to abstain from something or participate in something should be, how does it affect my relationship with the Lord? Right? I want to read, and I don't know if they have this up there, Brother Mason, in the Amplified, but in 1 Corinthians 6 and 12, you can read it in the good old King James Version. We might not have anything up there. I don't know. But 1 Corinthians 6 and 12, the Amplified Classic Version, has it like this. Listen. Everything is permissible, allowable, and lawful for me. But not all things are helpful, good for me to do, expedient and profitable when considered with other things. Everything is lawful for me, but I will not become the slave of anything or be brought under its power. So the Apostle Paul writing to the church, Corinthians said, everything is lawful, but not all things are permissible. Everything's lawful, but it's not permissible. In other words, it's how does this affect me? How, how, where is this going to take me? And the finality of his word is this. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I will not be brought as a slave. It will not master me. So here's where we get in. It's a way, not necessarily a sin, but if that thing, Changes the position where you're not the master of it. 
it becomes the master of you. Mm -hmm. Then that thing, though lawful for you, is not permissible for you. Uh-huh. Oh, someone say amen. So if it, if, if it masters you in such a way, it causes you maybe to break some more precept sins. Folks, that's a weight to you. That's a weight to you. And therefore, shouldn't be permissible for you to say, well, that person can. Well, maybe, maybe they do because it's the slave in their life. But in your life, you allow it to become master. So you can't necessarily in that moment start comparing yourself among yourselves. Because where they keep it in its place, you allow it to usurp you. And have power and authority over you. And dictate things to you in your life. Case in point. Nothing wrong with fishing. Let's just look at that. This will be real joke. Nothing wrong with fishing, getting the line wet, going fishing. Might Nothing wrong with that at all. Love it. But for somebody else, it could be a weight in their life. Let's say to the degree that every Sunday they went fishing. Rather than not failing to assemble themselves together as the manner of some is, Brother Malone. Right? For them, fishing's a weight. For the one that comes to church all the other days and keeps fishing in its proper place, not a weight to them. But for Joe Blow over here, that misses church over it? Not really not permissible. He needs to get it back in the slave position. And he be master. Does everybody understand what I'm saying right now? Amen. And so there's some in our lives, some things in our life that are weights that have the potential to become sins. And they become that whenever they master our lives. Amen master our lives, and then cause a unfolding and a downward spiral of other things. Please note some of the items which do so easily beset us or so easily entangle us or so easily distract us or prevent us, they're preventing us from running our race. They're, and listen, sin, really, the basic, we've looked at this before, the basic definition of sin, missed the mark. Come from the old marksman of shooting, shooting a gun or archery. They had a mark to miss the mark with sin. Well, a runner, whenever he sets out, his mark is crossing the finish line. His mark is finishing the race and finishing the race well. Well, if it's a way or sin and it's besetting you, it's keeping you from reaching your mark, from finishing well, then that, that becomes a sin to you. Amen. They're weights. They, they beset us. They have advantage over us. They are prevailing. Amen. And they're in our lives oftentimes because we have, we have empowered them to a certain degree. We have empowered them to a certain degree. Amen. The Bible says in Proverbs 22 and verse number three. So if you know, if you know what your besetting sin is, and I'm going to tell you, you probably know. If you don't, again, just look at the test, see where the, see where, um, the trench See where the rut is made in your life toward something that always gets you in trouble, always pulls you away from God, always takes priority more than God. Follow that, that rut and find your besetting sin. And Proverbs 22, 3 says, And a prudent man foreseeth the evil, foreseeth it, 
and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. In other words, the, the, the prudent man is looking ahead and saying, oh, I see a possibility that I'm going to be snafu'd here. I'm going to be enticed here. And he's like, reroute or stay away. But the simple, it's there. And he's like, nah, 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 nah. and he's, he's taken in. He finds himself tempted, sometimes sinning. Huh? Because he's not diligent about what, lie, what lays ahead of him. Look at Titus chapter number 2 and verses 11 and 12. Now, we've been helped in this, folks. We're not, and I, I say this with all, all cautiousness and, and just as soft as I can. We're not idiots. All right? We're not idiots. The Spirit of the Lord, if you've been born again of the water and the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord that you have received, right? The Bible says in Ephesians 2, we are saved through faith by grace. By grace through faith. It's not of our own. If that's the case, Titus 2.11 says, for the, everybody say grace. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Look at verse number two, teaching. Everybody say teaching. Teaching us. What teaches us? Verse 11. Grace teaches us. Teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. I can't, I'm just, have you been born again? Do you have the spirit of God? Have you been saved by grace? Then you have a teacher. I just can't foresee it sometimes. Do you have grace? Have you been born by grace? Then you have a teacher. Teaching you concerning the things, denying godliness and worldly lust, and living soberly, righteously, and godly. Look, in this present world. It's not, it don't have to be deferred until we reach heaven. You can live it here. Amen. There are some things, again, in Scripture may not be profoundly black and white, but even in those areas that we don't, we have the onboard teacher, the Spirit grace, is teaching us some things about denying ungodliness and so on and so forth. And so forgive us our debts, or forgive us rather, deliver us. Get on the right verse, McGee. Deliver us, amen. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, right? Deliver us from evil. Again, from, remove us away from that. Keep it at distance from us. Look, if you will, and I'm going to have to turn there, but Proverbs chapter number four. We want to be drawn closer to godliness than ungodliness, right? To righteousness than unrighteousness. Proverbs four and verse 11. Look what, look what Solomon, writer of Proverbs And he is instructing his son. The Bible says in verse number 11, I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. When thou goest, thy step shall not be straightened. And he's saying that. He says, he's saying that because he's saying, I've led you in right paths. You know what's right. I've led you down those paths. Your steps won't have to be straightened if you remain on the right path that I led you to begin with. We won't have to correct anything. Straighten your steps if you stay on the right path that I've led you through. He says, when thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened. And when thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. Take fast hold of the instructions 
let her not go. Instruction is personified as a female, her. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. Woo! He's saying instruction's your life. Somebody hear me this morning? He says, enter not to the path of the wicked. Here's a little wisdom. Go not in the way of evil men. To what degree? Verse 15. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it. And pass away. Now that's, that's I mean, he's just using just a few little words there to be quite direct and forthright. It don't take a degree to understand what he's talking about right there. Amen. Of how to avoid the, the, the path of the wicked and not to go the way of evil men. It's quite simple. So us foreseeing the evil, as Proverbs already said, foreseeing the evil, I hear, I hear Daddy Solomon's voice in my mind. Avoid it. Don't pass by it. Huh? Turn from it. Pass away. And a simple man, he just keeps on walking. The fool just keeps on walking and doesn't give, doesn't give any, any credence, amen, to what the scripture for here, uh, Solomon said, doesn't give any credence to what his father, amen, has said. Someone say amen. 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, short little sentence. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness basically is to live as God would have us to live or to live as he has instructed us to live. Godliness with contentment. Everybody say with contentment. Is great gain. Living as God would have us to live and being content with that is great gain. Someone say Amen. The danger of living as God would have us to live or has instructed to live, but always looking for another path, always looking for a loophole, wanting to come and say, well, it doesn't say black and white thus and so, wanting to bend it and and break it and erase any defining perimeter of it. It's not, it's not living godly with contentment. Amen. And whenever we start to try to, with wondering eyes, live in opposition to the godliness that has been instructed us in Scripture, we begin to live dangerous lives. And our relationship with the Lord will fall into jeopardy. Amen. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 10 and verse number 8 that he that diggeth a pit shall fall into it and whoso breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. A serpent shall bite him. It's not uncommon even for today for serpents to, you know, dwell and reside around stones or under stones or things like that. You know, whenever it starts getting uh, spring and you start mowing and there might have been pile leaves or something, something's covered up and you move that, you might just very well discover, oh, sleuthed, I mean, a serpent uh, very easily. And so that's the case. But here, Ecclesiastes, again, Solomon writing, he's saying that whoever breaks a hedge, now the hedges in the Old Testament scripture, the hedges were the boundary lines of properties. The hedges, right? The hedges were the defining points even of land. And he says, if anybody that's going to go in and start tampering with the boundary, 
Everybody here today? If, if anybody goes along and starts tampering with the boundary, the definitive lines, he says, then a serpent shall bite them. Amen. A serpent shall bite them. That's where they dwell. That's where they are. Let me tell you, the serpent is always along the definitive, distinctive lines between you, the church, and those not the church. Someone say amen. You're subjecting yourself when you start playing around with those things. Whenever you're saying, well, I don't really believe this is the right path. I believe we can enlarge our border. Nobody helping me today. I believe we can enlarge the border, and, and that, that would be more acceptable. When you start messing with the, the definitive line, you are subjecting yourself to the possibility of the bite of the serpent. Hmm? Eve, hath not God said, in the day that you would eat thereof, you'll surely die? Well, you know, I don't believe, you know, I don't, well, you know, boundary. Snake. Amen. Amen. Well, let's go on. Our times of testing in our Christian journey will show one of two things. Our times of testing are either going to show our weakness or they're going to show the Lord's strength. Because if we're successful... Not because Paul's strength. It'll be because of the Lord's strength. In my weakness, he is made strong. It's going to reveal the Lord's strength. And so the portion of the prayer that we are praying, amen, again, is that his strength would be shown more so than our weakness. It's in that, that mode that James, in the book of James, said, my brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations. Like, man, I don't want to fall into divers trials and tests and temptations. He said, count it all joy. Because that is, a, that is an arena where the Lord's strength can be shown if you respond appropriately. Amen. So then, we've been admonished to pray here Really, is it much different than what even Jesus in his earthly ministry and his humanity prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane of Matthew 26 and verse 39, which we're coming very quickly upon Resurrection Sunday. The Bible says, and he went a little further, had his disciples, had a group of the three, and went a stone's cast distance away. And then the Bible says, Jesus then even went a little further than them, and he began to pray. He fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. You know what he's really, he's praying in the moment, deliver me from some evil. Nevertheless, not as I will, but that as thou wilt. And we understand that he had to succumb to those that came and apprehended him and the cross and all that. And that ultimately was for our benefit, really empowering us so that we could be delivered from evil. Right? He, he gave himself, allowed himself, and a, a, a earthly man to be subjected to the evil of the cross. He uh, subjected to the accusation of being some horrid person and uh, being made sin for us, a man who knew no sin, so that perhaps we can pray this prayer and be delivered from the evil of our life. Amen. Again, in the end, it was a testament 
again, it looked like the weakness. It looked like the weakness of the man Christ Jesus. But in reality, it was the declaration of the power of God. He might be put into a tomb, but the chronicle says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is your victory? If, if when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and then sin bringeth forth death, Jesus knew no temptation, but he took upon himself the sin of the world, which the sentence for that was death. The human body died. Amen. But God raised him back up on the third day. Oh, death. Where is your sting and grave? Where is thy victory? It goes on to say that the sting of death is sin. But thank God, Christ Jesus, through the cross, remedied the power of sin over us. We were dead in our sins, in our trespasses. But when you receive the Spirit of Christ, you become dead to sin. It's not that sin is necessarily dead. Sin's going to be a part of the world till he comes back. But you're dead to sin. It's kind of like this. Brother Malone, you're dead. Okay? Don't smile about it. You never go by a casket and see them put a smile on somebody's face. You're dead, right? But since you're dead now, I'm sin, all right? You're shaking your head about that. <laughs> and I come up here and squeeze. You feel the pressure of that? You do, don't you? Don't lie. You can't talk, though, can you? You're dead. <laughs> a dead person's not going to feel that. They're dead to me. They're dead to sin. The more I allow the Spirit of the Lord to be active in my life, obedient to it, the more dead I become to sin. When it starts, let's go here, let's do that, let's say that. What's sin saying? I'm dead to sin. Someone understand what I'm saying? Am I just walking just way out in the forest by myself today? If so, I'm enjoying the weather. It just looks wonderful. Amen. Dead to sin. The last phrase, the last phrase of the prayer, and I'm, I'm coming to a close. The last phrase of the prayer is really reaffirming many of the concepts that have already been interwoven into the other words that Jesus told his disciples to pray. Notice, thy kingdom come. What did we pray? What did we pray? Thy kingdom come. He said, after this man and thy will be done. Thy king, thine is the kingdom and the power. Right? We've seen his power. There's power and forgiveness. Huh? There's, there's power in his ability, if we pray it, to deliver us. Power. Thine is the kingdom and, and the power and the glory. Amen. And that's what is sought in each of our lives. Not our glory, but the glory of the Lord. The glory forever. There's some people and some scholars say that some of the oldest and most reliable copies of the New Testament that that last phrase is not in there, uh, doesn't even show up until like the second century. I don't know for sure. 
what the case is concerning all that. I only know what I read or, or such. So many don't even want to authenticate those words as being the words of Jesus. However, I do know this, whether they are or whether they are not, I do know they express a very biblical concept and idea that's found in other places outside of here. They're very much in keeping with what King David had prayed mind you, prayed in First Chronicles. And I'm closing with this, if you'll stand. He prayed in First Chronicles 29, verses 10 through 12, by the inspiration of the Lord. It says, Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and all the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee. Thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, I don't know if those scholars say where they are, but I do know everything that was said right there is found also just right here in Chronicles. Amen. All of those traits and attributes are a part of God. And so as we have went through here over the past several weeks concerning the Lord's prayer, the petitions that relate to him that are God centered and the ones then that are man centered. We talked about our father. We talk about hallowing the name of the Lord. We talk about having his kingdom to come. Basically that which is already established in the heavens we're praying that that would be established in the earth and that is to take place someday according to the book of revelation john said he's seen a new heaven and new earth but he said he's seen the new jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth man and so that prayer will be that prayer will be answered by will be done daily bread forgive us and deliver us amen how many need some deliverance from some temptation i need some deliverance from evil particularly the evil, the things that I'm prone to in my life, I need some help with. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Father, I come to you this morning. God, I'm asking, Lord, for deliverance. God, we need to be drug away. Lord, taken away. Some distance set between us and those things that we are prone to that are not in alignment with your word or with your nature i pray god today deliver us from evil god waits god waits lord some weights that we are carrying that are slipping from the position of being mastered by us to being masters over us i pray oh god today help us to have the victory help us god to have the upper hand lord jesus over these things in our lives we know there isn't any temptation that comes that isn't common lord to each and every one of us but lord we want that door of escape to be positioned and planted rightly in our lives so that we can bear the things that we face the things lord that would allure and entice Lord Jesus us. We want victory Lord in these respects God yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever God we want your glory to be realized through our lives. Your power to be exercised in our lives. God in your kingdom Lord Jesus to come. Lord come quickly Lord Jesus is our prayer and we love you and thank you Lord Jesus for your ability to do these things God when we mention them in your name in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray Amen. Amen. The church say Amen.
Amen. This morning, thank you for being here today. Remember tonight, last night of ministry madness. Amen. With Brother Alex Mason, come and be a part of that. Amen. Ministers, meet in my wife's office here right after after service here this morning. And God bless you. In let, before I go, also on Thursday, everybody say Thursday. On Thursday at noon, we're baptizing a couple people in the in the in the waters back here for the remission of sins. Sister Angie Craig's Larry Craig is getting baptized, and her granddaughter Shelby Davis is getting baptized at noon on Thursday. That well, I said that Sister Angie Craig is homebound. I think oftentimes of her like the Apostle Paul. He was bound in, in prison, but he says, Lord, your word's not bound. And that's Sister Craig. She's homebound, but she uses God's word from her home to reach out to people concerning the Lord. And that's really the fruit of labor on Thursday. Uh, her, her, her Bible studies that she's gave and so on and so forth. So let's worship the Lord and be rejoicing concerning that. Amen. God bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.